I'm sorry. Go ahead and turn it on. <laughs> okay. Uh, let me catch myself here. He wants to talk to you about something that's called uh, the new creation. Now, I bet you can think about what that is, but maybe not. Maybe not. So here it is to give us his uh, sermon and in God's service on what the new creation is that he's talking about, our pastor, Steve Andrews. I knew it sounded like it wasn't getting across very well. In keeping with the, the count, are we at? What day? 21. Yes. 21. And we're getting close to Pentecost. And it seems like we're all excited about it. And it seems like the messages are there. looking forward to that and everything else. And there's a funny thing that happened to me on the way to the barber shop. Uh, this new guy, I, you just, you know, you just get in there and you get this random person that grabs you and yeah, this is one why I'm gonna get, it's gonna cut my hair. And I said I'm gonna, I, I want a a regular haircut. And, you know, my hair was in my eyes, and I said, well, I want you to get some hair out of my eyes and. What they call regular haircut. I bet he was 25 at that. I doubt that he knew what a regular haircut was. <laughs> so I have a 25 year old kid's regular haircut. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, it, it was all right. I, I remember when I was a kid, I had flat tops and burr cuts and everything else, and I haven't had one of these in years, so it was kind of nice to, to have a, an opportunity to, to have a little different uh, type of haircut. I have a question today. Do you feel like that you are a new creation? And I'm going to say, no matter how old you are, if you have been baptized, do you feel like and no matter how long you've been baptized, do you still feel like you're a new creation? And we're going to just try to address that today. Um, hopefully I'll be able to, to, um, to bring some things out that have been interesting to read. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, in verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the the King James says creature, but if you go and look that word up, it actually means creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Wow. So if we're in Christ, we are a new creation. No matter how long, as long as we're in Christ, we're a new creation. In Romans, the sixth chapter, Paul has this to say. 
I'm fine. Romans, the sixth chapter. And I was going to bring, no, nope, that's not in the right place. <laughs> I was going to put it there and I didn't do it. In Romans, the sixth chapter, I'm beginning in verse uh, 3. Paul writes this. And I'm just breaking in because of the thought here, but I'm just breaking in. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into the death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that the old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Of course, there's a little study in itself right there, which I'm not going to go into. But I remember, and everyone in this room should think back to the day that you were baptized and take the time to think about that one event that happened in your life. I remember when I was uh, first coming into this, this way, uh, I've told this before, and I, it was interesting that I didn't even know about the feast. I, the pastor had invited me, and I got there just after they had left. Knocked on the door, no one was there. And I thought, maybe I'm wrong, you know, maybe I've done something wrong. Well, I didn't give up. I decided that I was going to go in there, and I was going to, to get there, because he had, he had invited me to church. So I, I went, and it was a, and it was only like three months. I must have been ready. I don't know what the deal was. I must have been ready, because I was uh, scheduled to be baptized in January of 1969 in the middle of the winter. The middle of the winter, it was cold, and thankfully the place that we were baptized. Bill Swafford's basement, Bill Swafford's stock tank, and the nice warm uh, area that we had. I was very, very thankful for that. And I remember going under, and I thought, I hope he doesn't just hold me down for a long period of time here. But it's very, very quickly, he brought me right back up. And you know, I, I, I did all the things that he asked me, that as I... And had I repented and I accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and all of those things that we, we do. And I got out of that tank and stood there. And I didn't understand. I, that, remember, I'm a 20-year-old ignorant guy. <laughs> I really was. I'm very ignorant about God's Word and didn't really understand a lot about it. And so and the, the next thing I knew, that he said, now, I want you to come over here. And he laid hands on me put his hands on my head. I was sopping wet, just dripping wet. And he prayed for me. 
in some of the things he was talking about, a young man finding a, finding a wife, um, being in this way, doing the right things, and, and, and keeping this, this truth. I don't remember everything he said, but I, I know that he was giving me to Christ and asking for that Holy Spirit to be given to me. And so from that day on, I have kept this way since 1969. It was an, an interesting um, event because just like all of us, after we come out of that, we think, wow, this, you know, maybe the heavens are going to open up and I'm going to... No, I went home, I got in the car, and I was freezing to death outside and driving my, my car home, and I just remembered how good I felt, how wonderful it was to have washed those sins away in that, that stock tank. And wherever your baptism was, I uh, actually had one lady that wanted to be baptized in the flowing water, so we went to the Illinois River, and I <laughs> baptized her in the Illinois River. Couldn't go to Jordan, that's where she first wanted to go, but I thought, well, I don't think I can make that trip. Um, so we, we, we did uh, uh, the Illinois River, which worked out really well, and I hope that lady is, is still keeping this way. So the process in us of this new creation that God is working in, Christ is in, it's interesting that in the first John, the second chapter, and, and Ken uh, had a verse in there and was interesting in that part. I was going to, to go through all of first John, the second chapter, and then I got to, to reading some things in here, and that's where it led me to some other things, so I just want to read this first verse. And the reason why I'm reading this first verse is actually the first two verses. My little children... John says, I write to you so that you may not sin. So here we are, little children. We are. And he's probably talking to those who have been baptized. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but for the, also for the whole world. And it dawns on you, wow, what, is, what are God the Father and Jesus Christ doing in bringing individuals into the family? He is an advocate. He is right there in, uh, by the Father. And he is our atonement. You can go to Leviticus, the 16th chapter, you read all through that, but Jesus' sacrifice is our atonement sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but for also for the whole world. Now, I'm going to go, I'm going to do something kind of unprecedented, and I hope you don't mind me doing this. I'm going to go to an interlinear and I am going to read about this, this, this word, an advocate. And I'm also going to let this wonderful guy <laughs> who's on there, and I don't have any idea who it is. It may even be computer generated for all I know. 
but he knows how to pronounce this, and I don't. And here he it is. Y'all try that one. Paracletos. And here's the meaning. Summon. Call to one's side. Call to one's aid. One who pleads another cause before a judge. A pleader. Counsel for defense. A legal assistant. An advocate. Whoa. Isn't that wonderful? One who pleads another's cause with one. An intercessor of Christ in his exaltation at God's right hand, pleading with God the Father for the pardon of our sins. We have a tremendous, wonderful advocate at the right hand of the Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the widest sense, a helper, succor, aider, assistant. The Holy Spirit destined to take the place of Christ with the apostles after his ascension to the Father, to lead them to deeper knowledge of the gospel truth and to give them divine strength needed to enable them to undergo trials and persecutions on behalf of the divine kingdom. And that's not just for those, that's for all of us, that spirit. Now, isn't it interesting? <laughs> that particular word, John used five times. That's it. You can't even find it in the Septuagint. That same word is used in John, the 14th chapter, the 15th chapter, and the 16th chapter. What, may, what would you think that word is? Well, that, let's just read it. Let's go to John, the 14th chapter, and let's read it. Because it's very interesting that only John uses this word for this particular thing. And it's Interesting that it looks at the, the work that Christ and the Father are doing in us. In us. <clears throat> John, the, the uh, 14th chapter, and beginning in, in verse 16. Now let's read verse 16. If you, live, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he that dwells with you and will be in you. That word actually in King James is comforter. Comforter. But it can also mean helper, intercessor. Uh, it, it has a lot of different meanings and it's interesting that John used this, this, this word. Now, in the 26th chapter, it's the same thing. These things I have spoken to you, verse 25, while being present with you. But the, the, whole, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I've said to you. He is not leaving us without comfort, without help, without the ability to understand the truth. It is a loving God and a loving Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, who are doing this for the, for, for the children that are coming along. 
in 15 and verse 26. And I'm just reading, you know, we normally read all of these verses on the, on the day of uh, Passover night. But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me, and you will also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So here we have the helper comes who I shall send. So that's why he said he had to leave because he's got to send this helper down to us. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father and he will testify of me. One more. There are four of these in 16 and verse 7. 16 and verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage, and I think the King James says it's expedient for me, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So here's a res- here is a responsibility that Jesus has. I, it's, it's so interesting how in this new creation that they're developing within us, who are called, we're being called, this new creation that they're developing within us has a, a, a component in which if we trust in him, we can't fail. The spirit that dwells in us keeps us from failure. Even if we sin, we can go and we can ask repentance for that sin. We cannot fail. It is so powerful what they're doing. To understand this process, sometimes it's very difficult to understand. that. And I think Paul was inspired to write these things so that we could better understand the process of what goes on with the spirit that is working in us and the father and the, and the son that are, that are, that are uh, watching over us and doing the things that, are, that they need to do to keep us in this way. In um, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, there is some very powerful things that Paul was, in, was given insight to bring to the children to understand. And I think, let's see where, I wanted to to start in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellent of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. For I determined not to know any, um, I was with you, in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in um, demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Your faith is not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
But we speak the wisdom of God in, the, in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Well, you want to expand on that and understand what God has for us? It is tremendous. It is, it is unbelievable. The things that he has set aside. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things. Yea, and my new King James says yes. I, I'm so used to the King James, so yea is it. The deep things of God. The deep things of God were revealed. For what a man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. That is a mystery to a lot of people. It is a big mystery to a lot of people. Why do we have intelligence? What is there that makes us more intelligent than the animals that walk this earth. What is it? It is the spirit in man that God has given. And when is that spirit given? This is a very deep question. In this society, you know, life is almost like nothing. People take life lightly. Even unborn children who should be praised and, and, and glorified in the womb. This right there tells me that that spirit could be given even at conception. Even at conception. We don't know. Now we have received and not the spirit of this world which I'm Man, it's very, very, very bad right now. But the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy, the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But we who are who is, uh, but he that who is spiritual judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that we might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And why do we have the mind of Christ? Because God has given us at baptism that spirit. It says, "You shall receive." the Spirit of God. When Peter, on that day, stood up before them and he, he gave them the outline of how they could be saved and how they could come to God with the baptism and everything, at the end of that, you know, accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, repenting of your sins, all of those things, he said, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. You shall receive it. And down through the time that I've been a minister, 
Some have even said, I don't know if I really have the Spirit. That is, you have to have the faith that God has given it to you. He has opened your eyes. He has opened the truth to you. He has opened the way to the kingdom of God to each and every one of us through the resurrection. He has done this that we might glory in the truth that he has given us. And it is in there. We have that mind of Christ. In Romans, the 8th chapter, somebody wants to really get encouraged, read all of Romans, the 8th chapter. I mean, literally, it tells everything you need to know about how God is working, how the Spirit works, and everything. But all I want to do is I want to go through this a few, few verses here. I want to emphasize how much how important it is to learn what the Spirit is doing in each one of us and how it is working and how it, um, it helps us um, in the world that we live in. And beginning in verse uh, 6, I want to pick it up in verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now the carnal mind is not something, <laughs> it's just the natural normal mind without the Spirit of God. That's what it is. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So there needs to be a change, doesn't there? There needs to have something happen in a person's life to change them. They can't come to this way without this change, without something happening in their life. I remember in every way, I, I look back and I think, why in the world did God me. Why did he put this information, this truth in front of me to help me to understand it? You know, I, as I said, I was extremely ignorant. I go to Bible studies and they'd be talking about things and it was like that was up here and I was way down here. And as the years went by and I listened and I studied and I prayed, the Spirit was helping me to understand what it is that God is doing in each and every one of our lives. How he is working and developing and increasing us. And it says that there are fruits that come about because of the spirit that works in us. Love, joy, peace. All of those are fruits of the spirit. And as we grow in this way, we should be able to check our fruit, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, and see how well, how well we are growing in that. Sometimes I look at it, oh boy, I know I've been not doing too good, and I, I need to change, and I, I need God's Holy Spirit a little stronger in me. It is important that we are, what do I want to say, cognizant of the work that God is doing in us, the work of the Spirit that's there. So it says, so then those that are in the Spirit cannot please God. But he says, you're not in the Spirit if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if that Spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised up Christ from the dead will also give your life, uh, give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. There is an indwelling of the Spirit. It is the fact that you can be anywhere and anytime and thinking about God and praying without even, you, you could be like Hannah, you know, coming into the, to the temple to pray for having a baby. Anywhere, quietly, because God is dwelling in us. If we have been baptized and we have that Holy Spirit, he dwells in us, he's helping us on a daily basis, hourly basis, all the time he's there. What he wants from all of us is to be in his kingdom. In 2 Corinthians, the second chapter, And beginning in verse 11. Uh, I think that might be 1 Corinthians. This second chapter. I think it is. And if that's not it, we may pass on to the next one. I think it's 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Why I wrote 2 Corinthians, I don't know. Um, okay, that's the one I just read. So let's go to 2 Timothy 1. When you prepare a message, sometimes your mind is wandering all over the place, thinking about the, the things, both what you have done in your life and what God is trying to help you to understand uh, about his word and his truth. So in 2 Timothy, I hope this is the right one, and beginning in verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. In this day and age, we need to be a solidly in the scriptures as we can, understanding this word. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. That good thing, that baptism, and the laying of hands, the spirit that was given, who dwells in us, this you know that all those, um, so that was, I just wanted those two verses there, that spirit that dwells in us. Now, I was thinking, examples. I could go through all of the New Testament examples and all the things, and we've been through that. I got to thinking about someone that received the Spirit that God really loved, and yet who was really had a lot of problems in his life and did things that you and I would never even think to do. And that, that individual was David. And when he was anointed, he was just a, 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 you know, a young guy. God had taken the spirit out of Saul, 
and given it to David. And David was a, uh, a force to be reckoned with, if you want to put it that way. He was a, he was a powerful warrior. He was, in every way, um, someone that we would think, well, why did God love him so much? Why did he have such a place in God's heart when he was, when he was such a, a bloody man, a sinner, from all the things that he did in his life? And you come to think of the, the situation that he did with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. It's one of the most powerful psalms in the, in the Bible. And I, I've prayed this psalm myself. And if you get into a situation in which you know that you have sinned and you come to God, you can pray this prayer because this is one of the most powerful prayers. <laughs> we know what David did. We understand the sin that he committed. He committed adultery and then, because she was pregnant, he decided, oh, I'll just have Uriah killed. You know, I'll put him on the front lines. <laughs> he was a the man was too honest, way too honest. He was he says, I won't go into my wife. I want, you know, I'm a I'm a warrior, I'm not gonna do that. And David was trying to do it and he you know he just wouldn't do it. So he put him out on the front line and he died. And then what happens? Nathan comes to him and he says, You're the problem. You're the one. And David fasts for the young one that is going to die. And then he writes this. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me, against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. When we transgress, we understand the scriptures, we understand the, the, the commandments, and we understand that. We realize that we've sinned against God. And that's what David said. Against you have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. You will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit away from me.
when Saul sinned, when Saul sinned, God took that spirit out of him and gave him a troubling spirit. Little David was anointed to be the king, but in all the time that Saul was king, he would not transgress against Saul. He even had opportunities to kill Saul, and he did not do it. He was a very honorable man, but he also was a sinner, just like us. He, he sinned. And he had that spirit in him, and he understood that. He was able to understand that in his own life, he had sinned, and it was against God. God had given him this position, and he, and he had given him all of Israel to rule over. And he told him, you could have had any women that you wanted without adultery and without murder. And he chose that, that direction in his life. And so consequently, he prayed this powerful prayer while he was fasting for that child that was going to die. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. See, once we come to that point in our, in our life of repentance, deep down repentance, where we have fasted, we've prayed, we know that we have sinned and sinned, that, we, that God is not going without, you know, without coming very, very humbly before him in this way. He says, then after that, understanding, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from guiltness, uh, from gu the guilt of bloodshed, O oh God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it to you. You do not delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice to God is this. In every one of us, this is the most important thing to understand. You do not lie, delight in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God or a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. So when we come to God that way, with the Spirit working inside of us and understanding that relationship that we have with God and how that He can forgive us. I'm hoping we will never have to come into the situation like this. But understanding that even with the sin that we, you know, we feel very guilty about, this is a prayer we could pray. Do good. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem, then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. With burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings, then they shall offer bulls to your altar. So he, he, he also looks at the, you know, what Israel was going to do since he was the ruler over Israel. There's a very interesting and profound um, psalm in here that when we when we think about the indwelling of the Spirit, hey, 
I could go, I can go over here and I can hide myself and God won't see me. Well, no, wait a minute. Now I can go over here and I know there's a closet and I can hide myself and God won't see me. He won't know what I'm doing. He won't know what I'm up to. <laughs> David said, uh-uh. uh-uh. It don't work that way. Yeah, especially with the spirit that dwells in us. There's no escape. There's no place you can go. Nothing you can do. <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful psalms, and yet it, it is one of the most revealing psalms about how God works in us. Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path. Am I lying down and are acquainted with all my ways? Yeah, all our ways. You can't hide them. You cannot put them in a you cannot put them somewhere where God cannot see them. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have edged me behind and before, laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? That is a question. Where can I go that the spirit dwells in me that it won't be there? There is no place. Wherever I go, wherever you go, if you have God's Holy Spirit, it's there. God knows what you're doing at all times. Or where can I flee from your presence? <laughs> now that, yeah, that goes back to Elijah, doesn't it? <laughs> tried, tried to flee from God's presence, and God came and, ooh, no, yeah, you need to be doing some other things. If I ascend into the heavens, well, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall upon me, even the night shall be light about you, about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the light shines as a day, and the darkness and the light are both alike you. Alike to you. Isn't that interesting? I think that's one of the most profound things because I think as most of us as little kids, we have a tendency, when I know I did, it seemed like there was always something out there that I thought was going to get me as soon as the sun went down, you know, it was dark. And I could, I remember covering up, you know, <laughs> throwing the blanket over the top of me so that I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be affected by what was in the dark, what was out there. God shines the light right through the darkness. 
And we know what the darkness is today. The darkness is, is lies and things that are not true. And he shines his word of God through that darkness so that we can see, so that we're enlightened. There is no darkness where God's truth is. There's no darkness where God is in you and directing your life. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's room. And it's interesting proving that God even knows when we're conceived, when we grow in the womb, and when we're, we're born. When does God begin to work with us? When is the time that he looks down and says, I want that person? Do we know? Do we really know? Was it at conception? Was it at birth? How important are those things? He says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well my frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And your book, they are all were written. When does our name get written in the book of life? Do we know? No. We have no idea. It could be right at conception. Let's write him down. I know that individual. And I know that I'm going to work with them. And I'm going to bring them along. And I'm hoping that I can give them my spirit so that they can be in my kingdom. I want them in my kingdom. And in your book they were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I could count them, they would be more than the number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you, against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. And boy, that's becoming a very, very prevalent part of the society that we live in today. There is much against this way of life. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? Do I not loathe them who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. <laughs> it's interesting that he, he comes to this conclusion to wanting to be searched in his heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there are any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Every one of us should pray that, 
that God searches us, looks at us, and says, I want you in my kingdom in a very deep and, and powerful way. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I want you to be there. There's one more really powerful psalm that David wrote. Everybody is very familiar with it. Everybody understands it to some degree. I think there's still a lot that could be learned. Uh, it's called the Shepherd's Psalm. And it's such a beautiful psalm, and it has so much meaning, and, and I don't, I'm not going to go through all of them, but you know, the meaning there that, uh, that is. But I just wanted to read it at the conclusion of the message today. Because I want us to understand that as long as we're living, no matter what our age is, no matter what, our, what is going on in our life, the Lord is there. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, someone that watches over me. A shepherd watches over the sheep. And if Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I know who they are, and I love them, and I take care of them, I watch over them, my spirit is in them, I'm guiding them, I dwell in them. And so he says, I, I, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Are we letting Jesus work in us so that we are walking in those righteous paths? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That happens every day. We don't know, do we? I sometimes wonder, you know, I don't, as I get older, I wonder when that day will happen. And I don't want it to happen. I want to stay here. I'd like to be, I'd like to stay young for a little bit longer, even though I'm getting old. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, death, I will fear no evil, for, you're, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The sheep see the, the shepherd out there. He has a rod. He has the staff. He's ready to, to take care of it. And if, he, if an enemy comes, he'll take care of him. <laughs> he, will, he will chase that enemy off. That's Jesus. Yea, though I walk, um, you prepare a table before my in, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. You know, if you count all the blessings of understanding this truth, our cups are running over and are full. They are very full. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell, and this is the hope of everyone who accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, who has gone through that death baptism, been resurrected like Christ, and looking forward to that kingdom, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Forever, brethren. That is a promise that we have from God, that we will be in his kingdom forever and eternal life.